listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Thirsty Thursday Women's Online Wellness Facebook Live. It's good to be back with you. I was out last Thursday, uh, kind of a last minute thing. Uh, many of you know the remnants of Hurricane, I believe it was Sally, was passing through the Augusta area and we got that deluge. Well, it decided to flood my lower level of my split level house. So we were dealing with a little bit of water adversity, a little bit of leakage, not bladder leakage, but hurricane leakage last Thursday. So I apologize for not getting to the topic, but we're getting to it tonight. No fear. I knew you were sitting on pins and needles to hear about insulin resistance. And it's a good thing you should be because there's a topic that you've got to know about. You have to know about this. And I'll tell you exactly why. I was watching television. You know, I'm watching too much television today. Any of anybody else, show of hands, anybody else out there watching too much television today? Well, mainly news and, you know, some other shows. But I was watching television and this commercial came on for this new weight loss product. And they immediately start talking about insulin resistance, talking about like it was some disease that just appeared out of nowhere like COVID and you caught insulin resistance and that was the reason you were 80 pounds overweight. It had nothing to do with the fact that you have 14 muffins every morning, but it was that insulin resistance that you caught. You went to sleep and you woke up and you had insulin resistance and it made me want to just spew blood out of my eyes. You know, very few things give me, really put my panties in a wad these days, but that kind of stuff does because it spreads misinformation. They use just enough in their terminology to make it sound somewhat believable, but it's a crock of garbage. So tonight is about clarity. Tonight is about getting my panties out of a wad and getting you information that you absolutely have to know because insulin resistance, chances are, is affecting you right now. You might not even know it. It's probably affecting family members. I can almost guarantee it because one-third of the population of the United States is already dealing with insulin resistance and the problems associated with insulin resistance. And if you're over 60, like me, one out of two. So if you're watching this with somebody, look to your left or look to your right, one of you guys is dealing with insulin resistance and the problems associated with insulin resistance. So that's why it's important. There's probably not anything else that's more important to your overall longevity and your overall long-term health and your overall wellness and your overall ability to do the things you want to do till you're old and gray and deteriorating and just falling apart. You want to keep doing that forever. But if you suffer from this thing called insulin resistance, you're not going to be able to. It's going to keep you not 
physically well, not emotionally well, not spiritually well, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I think it's critically important that you have the clear picture. That's what tonight is about. That's what this whole Facebook Live is about, is trying to bring clarity in this quagmire of misinformation. And that's what motivated me to want to tackle this very important topic, is that crazy ad that I know you've all seen. It, 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 you remember back about, I don't know, 10 years ago when maybe it was longer than that, when President Bush was over in Japan or somewhere doing a news conference and some reporter took off a shoe and threw it at him. But I don't, maybe it was, I don't even know who it was, but I just remember the incident. And I thought, well, that's a great response. Well, that's what I wanted to do to TV these days, is just take my shoe off and throw it at it because it makes me nuts, it makes me crazy. Probably the best thing you can do for your health right now is turn off the television. But that's a whole different topic. So tonight we're going to talk about insulin resistance because it is a problem that is intrinsic. It is, it is endemic. It is almost uh, pandemic, if you will, in this world today. And it goes far beyond even the impact of COVID-19 because this is something that is going to impact you for a lifetime. And that's why it's so critical that you understand this concept and understand what it is, how to avoid it, and if you got it, how to get rid of it. So we're gonna cover all that tonight and really give you some insight into some practical steps as to how you can really understand this concept and apply practical tips through nutrition and activity and all that kind of stuff to make it right. So what the heck is it? Well, insulin resistance in a nutshell is simply where your body cannot respond properly to the hormone insulin. Well, what is insulin? Everybody's heard of insulin, and everybody knows it has something to do with glucose and blood sugar, and people who are diabetics take it, but insulin is secreted by the pancreas, and it's a hormone that is what we call an anabolic hormone. It makes things grow. Basically, its primary function is to take blood sugar, glucose that's in your bloodstream, and shove it into the liver and shove it into the muscles and shove it into the fat and it causes growth it causes the storage of uh, things like it helps build muscles it helps amino acids go into muscles to build muscles but the main function is to try to keep your blood sugar reasonably in a good range because we all know if that blood sugar goes ape crazy it causes all kind of problems and we don't have to tell you how many people already know the troubles associated with markedly elevated blood sugars on a chronic basis and then likewise if it goes too low you've all had those times when your maybe your blood sugar drops real low and you you get dizzy you break out in a sweat you get nauseous technically the term is called hypoglycemia and some people suffer from that on a regular basis well that's all due to insulin and its effects well, the problem arises when we chronically produce too much insulin in our body. It's like every virtue to the excess becomes a vice. Everything good, everything that the good Lord designed our bodies to function as, if it gets overdone, it creates problems. It's like our immune system. Our immune system is miraculous. But if it overdoes it, we get things like cytokine storm and COVID, or we get things like autoimmune diseases. Well, the same thing happens 
if we treat our bodies well and we do what we're supposed to do, then insulin performs a wonderful function. But like anything else, there's the law of unintended consequences. There's some things that happen when that insulin stays elevated that create all the problems associated with insulin resistance. Uh, we know that everything from pre-diabetes to type 2 diabetes to heart disease to strokes to uh, even some types of cancers are secondary that start, if we think about first causes, start with that insulin resistance. But you even even go back farther on the spectrum to understand why you develop insulin resistance. Remember, it's not something you just go to sleep and wake up and you're insulin resistant. It's not anything you catch. Yes, there's a genetic component here. I, I want to make clear that it's not all behavioral. It's not all uh, what you eat and what you do or don't do. There is a genetic component. But for the majority of folks, well over 80% of folks, the majority of things related to insulin sensitivity and resistance are behavioral. It's what we do. It's what we choose to do. And I think that's key. It's like you don't go to bed one night and wake up in New York, unless you've been doing some, you know, some of the funny stuff. Uh, some of you may have experienced that, but most of us don't go to bed and wake up in New York. To get from Augusta to New York, it's a journey. It's a continuum. You know that there are certain predictable things that happen to get to that place. Well, the same thing occurs with insulin resistance. You don't just wake up and are insulin resistant. There are things on a continuum that have to happen to get to that place. But what's so good and what's so cool and what I want to get across is anywhere along that continuum, you can go backwards, you can reverse that. So you don't have to end up at insulin resistance. Or even if you're already in New York, even if you already have insulin resistance, you can go backwards, you can reverse that. I stand before you saying that type two diabetes is a preventable disease. And that's what ties into this whole concept of insulin resistance. So let's. Let's talk about more specifically about really what it is. And we're not going to go into the weeds, uh, but I want you to really understand because with knowledge comes power and with the application of knowledge comes wisdom. And that's what we want to achieve is that wisdom. So insulin resistance is when the cells in your body, particularly in muscle, fat, and liver, can't use insulin as efficiently as it should. Insulin is very important. We talked about muscles, getting amino acids in there to make muscles grow. In the liver, it's really important because it tells the liver to stop producing a bunch of sugar because it says, oh, they got enough. you just ate a cream puff. They've got enough sugar. You don't need any more. So it shuts down the liver from producing sugar and it helps drive the blood sugar in your, in your, in your blood down. But when you are chronically exposed to higher levels of sugar and fatty acids, that insulin is constantly being pumped out because your body says, well, you know, it, it, it's, it works okay, but, but when, when you're constantly producing all this extra insulin, these receptors, these little guys that sit on these cells, they get overwhelmed and they just kind of shut down. So 
to be able to keep that blood sugar normal, all of a sudden now you've got to get more insulin because these cells say, well, I used to get by with one little receptor there and that was all I needed because I didn't have that much insulin out there, didn't have that much sugar, I was cool. But all of a sudden with all this extra sugar and all the, the, the it, it's, it's saying, well, you know, that a little amount of insulin you were pumping out before is just not cutting it. So you're gonna to have to pump out a whole bunch more insulin to be able to do the same job. So essentially, let's just throw out some numbers so you can say, say initially, if you were eating good and you were active and you were sleeping well and all the things you're supposed to do and your insulin level to keep your sugars good and everything hunky-dory and make you happy and just be able to trip the light fantastic and feel good, Say that was, was a level of one. Well, then you start eating the cream puffs and you don't sleep well and you sit and binge watch next Netflix for seven or eight hours. All of a sudden, your body's saying, whoa, that little bit of one, that number one insulin you were putting out, that's not even touching keeping that blood sugar under control. So now we gotta pump out 10 times that. Well, when that happens, the muscle cells say, whoa, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, this is way too much. We, we're going to make our receptors not so sensitive, so that kind of dulls the reaction. So the long and the short of it is it takes more and more insulin pumping out because these cells are, are kind of fighting against responding. And so the body's response is, well, we'll just give you more. We'll pump out more because we got to get those sugars down. You can't live with a sugar of 300. You go in that ketoacidosis and, and just go nuts. So the body keeps pumping more and more insulin. And the more insulin that comes out, the more the cells say, ah, no, we're going to ignore you. We're just getting tired of all this insulin being around. So what happens is that, 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 uh, the consequences I was talking about that are unintended, this elevated insulin sets up all kind of down domino effect type problems. And that's what leads to all the things associated with this insulin resistance. The heart disease, the cancers, the stroke, the hyperinflammatory state, it all results initially from elevation in blood sugars that stay that way that are chronic, that more than just a binge, you know, you decide I'm gonna binge on 12 cream puffs tonight, but tomorrow I'm going back to my good eating, you know, that's not gonna create insulin resistance. But if you do that over and over and over, and I'm being a little exaggerated, it doesn't have to be 12 cream puffs every night, uh, but I think you get the, get the, the idea there. Uh, so, we mentioned genetics plays a role, we mentioned aging plays a role. As you get older, your natural tendency to be sensitive to insulin decreases, so you naturally become a little bit more insulin resistant simply by age. Not a whole lot, enough that you can overcome that by the right behaviors. But what happens is things that continue to drive that process, things that make those cells less sensitive to that insulin are all the things that kind of are down that domino. And that's things like increased abdominal fat, increased fat in the liver, increased fat in the visceral area, which is that abdominal fat. Just understand that there are many factors that contribute 
to the insulin resistance. It's not something, there are these things that have to occur for you to become insulin resistant. It does, just doesn't magically happen for 80 to 90% of us. Sorry, I just hit the microphone. I hope it didn't sound too horrible. Probably the biggest underlying factors I already mentioned is too much blood sugar or too much free fatty acids in the blood. Well, where do the free fatty acids come? Does it, fatty, you hear the word fatty. That must be then if I eat too much fat, I'll increase my fatty acids. Well, no. Dietary fat does not get converted into those fatty acids. That elevation of fatty acids comes from our old friend sugar and excess carbohydrates. Most of you know I'm a, I'm a big believer in lower carbohydrate intake. And one of the reasons is carb, excess carbohydrates, starchy vegetables, sugars, uh, uh, pastas, uh, breads, wheat products, all those things, when they're in excess, important point, red flag, there, there's nothing horrible about any single food, but in excess, too much of it, that your body converts that into the free fatty acids, which flow around in the bloodstream, triggers the insulin secretion, so then you get into this, this virtual cycle where you get these chronically elevated insulin levels. And remember, when you think about it, it's not a problem with the cells, it's a problem with the insulin. It's too high. That's why people who are on insulin actually gain weight a lot of times. Did you know that? A lot of times people who have to go on insulin actually gain weight because insulin is anabolic. It causes weight gain in some individuals. In our weight loss program, we're very careful to try to work with folks to try to lower their amount of insulin they're taking because it actually helps in their weight loss. So we know insulin actually promotes weight gain. Insulin turns off the fat burning enzymes and turns on the fat storage enzymes, exactly the opposite of what you want. So anything that increases insulin, increases insulin resistance and increases fat deposition, which increases insulin resistance. Do you see where I'm going with this? It really becomes a vicious cycle that leads to these things like the heart disease, the cancers, the strokes, the senile dementias and all those things down the road. But it starts, it starts with overconsumption of sugars and carbohydrates, which get converted into free fatty acids. Now, proteins will increase insulin, but not nearly, not nearly like carbohydrates will. And fats hardly have any effect on insulin at all. They, they, they just, now saturated fats do other bad things, but they don't elevate the insulin. We talked about one of the biggest problems is the visceral fat, fat around the belly. And we're gonna talk about how that relates to this thing called metabolic syndrome in just a minute. But it's all tied in. One of the things I want you to grasp, and hopefully you've understood from all these almost three or four years now, is the complexity of our bodies and our system and how all this stuff works together. You can't just take it insulin resistance in isolation or talk about it uh, it's totally separate from hormones or thyroid. It's all intertwined. That's actually, that's one of the philosophies why I'm doing this new thing with MDVIP because it's gonna allow me to really look at this big comprehensive picture because when we look with my, my optic vision, with, with tunnel vision, if all I'm seeing is what's going on with your vaginal discharge and I'm not paying attention to other stuff, I'm not being that good for you. So that's why this new approach is gonna really have some exciting, exciting impact 
on people's holistic view of their health and their wellness. But anyway, getting back to where we were. Uh, certainly insulin resistance is very common in people who are overweight because that's a result of excess calories in many instances. So yeah, it's a bit of that chicken and egg kind of thing. And it's a debate that scientists go around, like what is the initial cause? But the bottom line is regardless of what the cause is, if, if you are exhibiting issues like increased abdominal fat, waist girth, then one of the most effective treatments for insulin resistance is losing that visceral fat, losing that percent body fat. Other known causes, fructose. Remember, fructose is a monosaccharide like glucose, but sucrose, which is table sugar, is a combination of fructose and glucose. Where we've really gotten to problems is a term you've probably heard, high fructose corn syrup, an incredibly cheap sweetener that is in virtually everything sweet. Now, it's, it's being eliminated from a lot of products because it's literally been labeled a carcinogen in many instances, but fructose is metabolized by the liver, and that, what happens there is the liver gets full of fat. If there's too much fructose, it increases the fat in the liver and creates this thing called fatty liver. Who wants a fatty liver? I mean, come on. Uh, instead of calling somebody a fathead, call them a fat liver. That's even a bigger insult because the brain is normally 70% fat, so you're just actually describing somebody correctly if you call them a fathead. But if you call them a fat liver, that's an insult. Anyway, uh, inflammation. We've talked about inflammation a hundred billion times, and we know that that is at the core etiology for so many things where we also think the inflammatory response whether it initiates it or whether it follows because we know people who are overweight tend to be higher in inflammation contributes to insulin resistance uh, we know inactivity we know activity level the more active you are the more your muscles are insulin sensitive meaning they respond appropriately to insulin so they take those amino acids they take that sugar and they jam them in the muscle and the muscle burns them up and it's just a fun and you're doing what you're supposed to do and everybody's happy but when you're sitting on the couch of doom and those muscles are just kind of not doing anything and you eat that cream puff then that insulin can't really push that sugar into the muscles because the muscles are saying hey i'm just chilling I'm just laid back here don't need the sugar keep it out of here so then the sugar goes and gets converted into fat, and then the insulin pushes that fat, those triglycerides, into your fat cells. Is that making sense? It, it, give me a thumbs up if you're starting to see how, the, how, all this, how all this works. We've even seen the gut microbiota. We talked about that. The gut microbiome can influence how sugar gets into the system and uh, can affect so many different things from the chemicals that are produced by your gut. So when you take a bunch of antibiotics, and you alter your bacteria in your gut, it can sometimes affect how the energy absorbs, how much energy glucose gets into your system. Obviously, that in turn affects uh, things like the insulin levels. So again, it's, you get in the picture that everything is connected, everything's tied together, everything is, is, uh, is, is a part of, uh, of, the, of the miracle that is who we are. So, the main cause of insulin, insulin resistance is probably excess calories, in particular excess carbohydrates, excess fatty acids, 
increased body fat, especially in the belly area. And see, this is what gets me about that stupid commercial. They made it sound like that the belly fat was the result of insulin resistance. It was like something you caught, and if you take this pill, it'll get rid of the insulin resistance, and then the fat will melt off. Garbage! That's not the way it works. It's just the opposite. You've got to get rid of the visceral fat. That reduces the triggers for the insulin resistance, and the insulin resistance then improves. It's not the other way around. It's just hype. It's garbage. It's selling you hooey. So just keep that in mind next time you see that particular commercial. I'm not going to say any names because I don't want to get sued. So, what are some signs and symptoms to see if you might have insulin resistance? Get out of tape measure. Measure your waist. I know it's a scary thought for a lot of us, but measure your waist. The larger your waist, now I'm not talking about you guys who have the big old belly and the little tiny hiney, and you go and put that little measuring stick around the little tiny hiney and say, hey, I'm a 28. You know, you're really about a 64. Now, you ladies, that's still important also. You got to measure around the largest girth area, and that gives you a more accurate picture of your waist circumference. The norms that we've shown for men is about 40 inches and for women about 35 inches. Anything above that, the likelihood that you have increased abdominal fat is there, and that's a risk factor for insulin resistance. It may be an early sign that even before anything else shows up. Now, even better is get a body composition analysis. That's a very simple test that's done that measures directly your visceral fat and your total body fat. That's one of the key tests that we do, we'll be doing in our new annual women's health program is the body composition analysis because standing on the scale doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Measuring that abdominal girth is important, but a body composition analysis is even more critical because it tells you what that visceral fat is. And that's an incredible risk factor for hypertension, diabetes, this thing called metabolic syndrome, all those things. So measure your waist. Look at some other numbers. Look at your triglycerides. You know, we talk about cholesterol, and years ago it was that big campaign to know your numbers, know what your cholesterol was. Well, we know now that's really not a good predictor of your risk for heart disease. How many of you knew that? You know, you still have this in your head that, oh, well, if my cholesterol is good, then I'm, I'm safe. Well, no, that's not the case. You've got to dig deeper than that. You've got to look at the breakdown of the type of lipids in your system. And you've got to look at things like triglycerides because triglycerides are elevated when that liver is full of that fat we talked about. The more insulin resistant the liver is, the more your triglycerides are pumped into your bloodstream. So measuring your triglycerides is somewhat of an early sign or maybe a, a definite sign that you're becoming insulin or already insulin resistant. And that's a very important measurement. All these things are part of this thing we call metabolic syndrome. Back when, when I was coming up, it was called Syndrome X. It sounds, I love Syndrome X. It sounds much more mysterious and evil. Syndrome X. I'd love to say, I'm sorry, ma'am, you have Syndrome X. But now I have to say metabolic syndrome.
as I mentioned, you got to break down those lipids, and everybody's heard of the HDLs. Those are the good lipids. Well, you need to have those fairly elevated to be protected. Well, the more insulin resistant you are, the more lower those HDLs are. So these are just ways of looking and kind of getting us an idea of where you're at. Uh, you can look at your blood pressure. Blood pressure is a really good indicator. If it's over 120 over 80 consistently. Now coming in to see me, people's pressures are always up. So I don't place a lot of emphasis on just, uh, just one pressure. It's where you actually live and what it's consistently at. That's more important. Uh, obviously, you want to look at fasting blood sugars. And I'll also mention a fasting insulin level that most of you don't get when you get your routine lab work, whether it's at your primary care or, or at your GYN or your internist. A lot of times they're not doing the fasting insulin. That is really, really, really important because it gives us a snapshot as to what kind of your baseline insulin level is so we can kind of make some judgments in combination with your hemoglobin A1C and your blood glucose as putting all that together is, you know, are, are, you, in, are you in this realm, this continuum and uh, uh, where you are on that and what we need to do to help reverse that. And of course, these are all blood tests that, that we'll be doing in our new program, of course. Uh, so why, again, if I haven't already made it clear, I want to make clear why this is important. Uh, about 87 million Americans have what we call prediabetes, meaning that they don't meet the absolute criteria for type 2 diabetes, but they're getting real close. It's not going to take much. That's what we want to stop, and we can. It is preventable. It is a disease that is preventable. And we'll talk about a couple of simple things you can do to head that off uh, as, we, as we go further. Same thing with, you might hear a term, NAFLD. I like saying that, NAFLD. It's non-alcoholic. Uh, um, trying to think. <laughs> a little, little brain stroke there. Non-alcoholic. Uh, fatty liver disease, NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty. It is now taken over as the number one cause of cirrhosis of the liver over and above alcoholic hepatitis. So now we got more people with cirrhosis of the liver from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease than we do from alcohol ingestion. So this stuff is really important and these are huge numbers and chances are you know somebody that's affected a family member, a, a friend, possibly yourself. So these are, these are big deals. Um, so let's cut to the chase. Let's cut to a couple of simple things you can do to reverse or even prevent this. So number one is recognizing, are you at risk? And that's looking at those things we talked about, the abdominal, visceral fat, the, your, your blood lipid numbers, your insulin numbers, your sugars, that gives us a sense of where you are now. So say you already or you're on that spectrum. Maybe you've got a couple of things that are getting a little bit more abnormal. So obviously the first thing that can be beneficial is weight loss. That comes to is no surprise. And quite honestly, that's one of the big reasons I went back a few years ago and got the board certification in bariatric medicine because I saw such an amazing need. Seven out of 10 women coming into my office really needed and wanted to lose weight. 
but just telling somebody to eat less and exercise more uh, was just worthless. You all know that. It's just that was just a waste of time. So that's why we put together this formal program. So weight loss is one of the best tools, especially visceral fat. And if you'll go back and look at one of the previous uh, Facebook lives, we talk about some natural supplements that actually will target some of that visceral fat. So there's some, go back and review those and that'll be a way of, of helping you um, decrease the likelihood of this progressing from prediabetes to diabetes to heart disease to cancer to stroke to um, all these other issues. Obviously, regular exercise, I already mentioned that being active increases the muscle sensitivity to, to insulin. Uh, it also helps reduce the problems associated with the liver. It keeps the pancreas from getting overstimulated. That pancreas, if it gets where it's just pumping out too much insulin, it finally goes, ah, I've had enough, I can't do it anymore. And the beta cells that produce the insulin start dying off and that becomes a place that possibly could be irreversible. That's quite a ways down that spectrum. So you can change that before it ever gets to that point. But being active, I mean, we're talking about uh, 10 minutes, three times a day, just doing something, just moving. I mean, God designed us to move. We have uh, several hundred uh, bones and uh, over 300 muscles in our body with one purpose, and that's to move, that's to be active. And you don't have to be training for a marathon. I've said this a million times. It can be just getting up every hour and, and moving for 30 seconds. Even that little amount, cumulatively over time, will make a difference. For most of us, yes, more is better. So don't get me wrong, but that's a key factor. And here's something that you probably didn't know, that sleep plays a big role. And I've harped on this time and time again. I just reposted a video on sleep. But we also know that, and this is, this is a crazy, crazy statistic, but this was, well, this was from uh, the 2015 meeting of the Obesity Society. This was a study that was presented there that researchers found that one night of sleep deprivation, meaning less than six hours of quality sleep, boosted insulin resistance as much as a month of eating high fat foods. Does that freak you out? One night of sleep deprivation can create a, a, the scenario similar to pigging out for a month with the, the wrong nutrition. So that just illustrates how critical sleep can be in this whole process. Very important about nutrition. You know, we talk about activity level. Yeah, that's, that's important, but nutrition is really the key. But when it comes to synergism, and I love that term because it means you're putting all the pieces together and they work better in the whole than they do separately. So if we looked at, studied people who just ate, ate well and lost weight, people who were active, uh, or people who were active and didn't lose weight, people who were active did lose weight, and then people who ate well and were active and lost weight, there was almost a threefold difference improvement in the insulin sensitivity, the reduction of insulin resistance in the people who ate well, exercised, and lost weight. So it's 
more than the sum of the parts. They, again, it's this miracle of the body and the way we've been designed is if we, if we treat it right, if we do the right things, it's going to take care of you. But the, the same problem exists on the other side of that is if we, if we don't give it what it needs, we're going to have problems down the road. So hopefully that has given you a real brief primer on insulin resistance. Hopefully you take away from this, number one, it's not something you just wake up and have like that silly commercial tells you. Uh, it's something that happens along the continuum and we can reverse that at any step. Even once you're there, we can reverse that. We can bring it back. And there's some simple lifestyle issues that we can address that can make a difference. Hopefully that's given you a good idea of that. Let me, uh, let me just put a, uh, another uh, uh, bug in your ear. For those of you who are still kind of trying to figure out whether the new program, the MDVIP annual women's uh, kind of hybrid between primary care and women's health, if you're still trying to figure that out and if it's right for you, this Saturday, woohoo, going through puberty there, this Saturday at 11 o'clock, we're going to do another Zoom tele, uh, uh, webinar. And it's going to really be very brief. It won't interfere with your football watching because it's at 11 o'clock. But it's going to give you a lot of information about the program. To be able to make a decision as to whether it's right for you, you need to have the right information. So we're going to, it's going to be live. We're going to present the information. We're going to answer questions. One of the things I'm hearing a lot from women, and rightly so, is yes, this is an investment. It's an investment in your health, but it's a financial commitment. And a lot of women are saying, well, you know, I really need to discuss this with my spouse, and I could not agree more. I think it is a very healthy relationship where you have to discuss that with your spouse on any financial decision. I think that's a very, very healthy interaction. So I would ask you that if there is, there is a uh, interest and you want your spouse to be aware of truly what the value is in this program, have them watch that with you. It's only going to last about 30 minutes or so, but I think it would be a valuable tool for them to understand fully what this program is and what it can do for you. And I think that it would be a great value for them to see that also. So. Uh, feel free to, uh, when you, you, you'll need to register to get the link to attach to the Zoom so you can sign in. Um, I'll actually put the link above this video, so you just click on that, register, and then you get sent the link. And that's Saturday at 11. And then we're also doing one, for those who can't make it Saturday, we're doing one next Wednesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We're trying to hit all the times, so anybody who wants to learn about this new approach, can learn the value for them as an individual. And again, I invite your spouses, if that would be helpful for them to get that information firsthand, we really encourage them to participate and just listen in. So Saturday at 11, click the link to register for that, or Wednesday at 3, click the link to register for that. So hopefully, again, we're bringing some value, maybe a little bit of entertainment, a couple of giggles along the way. Hopefully, this has been fun for you. If you like this, give me a thumbs up. If you know somebody who might benefit from being a part of this Facebook group, put, put their name out there. Put, uh, don't, don't put it in a message. You've got to actually hit, click the invite up there because if you just put their name in a message, uh, that didn't, it just doesn't work that way. Just put, put their name in the, hit the invite button and stick their name in there and, 
and uh, we'll, we'll get that taken care of. So until next Thursday, or actually hopefully maybe some of you Saturday, or maybe some of you next Wednesday, make healthy choices. See you then. Oh, and remember, I read all the comments. I'll go back and answer any questions. I hadn't forgot about you. I know every single one of you who are watching this. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at R-E-A-K-E-R at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.